0: And we're beginning to talk about the direction that God has for this church. So I've shared with you, I believe with all my heart, we're at a crossroads. 33 years of history, of blessing, of provision, of God's faithfulness. Pastor Sam spent 20 years laying a foundation. Pastor David built on that. And now it's time. God's brought people here. God's brought talent here, anointing here, laid a foundation of the Word of God. But for a purpose. And the crossroads where we are is we can either continue on the way we are and say, we're just so blessed. Look at the beautiful building we have. It's paid for. Look at the, you know, the gifts we have, the people that we have and all the wonderful things and just rest in all of that and and, and miss the purpose for which God's done all of that. Imagine... As I come to church here, I drive past some construction sites and they've started three const- houses and the, you know, they start by digging a hole and laying a foundation. Imagine if, if, you know, if, if we come to the end of our course and all that's ever been done here is a foundation was laid. Would you move into a house if there's just a foundation? Foundation is is the preparation for what you want so you can inhabit it. And God wants to inhabit this church at a level He has not been able to before. God wants to visit us there's the presence of God in worship and that's why see there's different levels of visitation. Moses was on that mountain and he was in the presence of God, but he came to having i think it was the second or third time up there for forty days and forty nights. He came to the end of one and he says, "This has been wonderful. this is in the presence of God, the actual presence of God, but he wasn't satisfied he says." I want to see your glory. The glory is the ultimate essence of who God is. I'm glad to be in your presence, the joy, the peace, but I know there's something more. I want more. See, there's more than what we have right now. There's more than the wonderful times of worship. God wants to visit us with His presence. He wants to dwell among us and visit us with His presence. But if all we have is a foundation for Him, and maybe a couple of, you know, a couple of, of, of walls up, rough walls up. There's nothing for him to dwell in. So he's building his house here. But we have to hear what he's saying to us. And so what we're going to begin to talk about is where God, what God's purpose for us is. But I really, through that time of prayer and fasting, I really sense God saying, I want you to lay, I want you to prepare the people to hear. Because vision is a change in direction. Or a focus in direction. We've talked out of Proverbs 29, where it says, without a vision, without a prophetic revelation, the people are unrestrained. So we're in the process of God's. So if you feel like you're going through some things right now, it's because we're in transition. There's a transition taking place. Whenever there's transition, there's an unsettledness. And that's okay because we're not where we used to be, but we're not where we're going yet either. We're beginning to change when change begins to happen, people... Because we get comfortable with where things are. And when change is announced, it's like, well, what's it going to mean? What's it mean to me? What's it gonna? All these questions are starting to float around in our mind. And, and there's an enemy out there who wants to distract us so that we don't get the new direction. And so God is having us spend some time so that we can be, be moving on the same page, be turning in the same direction, hearing the same voice. So as to prepare the way so that we can hear the, the vision that God has to speak to us. Because I don't want something just on a piece of paper that we plaster all over the place and use good corporate principles to instill and, you know, to renew our, to, 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 to you know, I know what the vision is here. It's got to be in our heart. It's got to be God breathed in our heart. I'm tired of, of having programs that if they're not pushed from the pulpit, they fizzle out. That means they're not in our hearts. We've tried for years, in many other churches have tried for years, evangelism programs, and they work as long as it's put in front of the people and it's encouraged. But it's because it's not in our hearts, we don't do it without being pushed to do it. And one of the things I vow to the Lord is I'm not going to push the sheep here. That if you don't breathe on us and you don't touch our hearts, we're just going to sit here. And so it's, it's the process of preparing to receive what the Spirit of God wants to breathe into us. And that's what this is about. So Ezekiel 37, what we've begun to look at is, it is, is the, it's a vision that God gave to Ezekiel at a difficult time, very similar to where the history of the church is in the United States today. And God brings him out to this valley by a vision of dry bones, and we've talked about, I'm not gonna go spend time going back over them, but it's a symbol of hopelessness. I mean, the bones are not even skeletons. They're just scattered. You don't know which bone goes with which bone. And, 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 and God brings him out there and asks him this question. Son of God, can these bones live? And we saw that God's expand, trying to breathe, breathe vision, into, first of all, into the prophet. Can these bones live? Because if he went by what he saw, there's no hope for these bones to live. And we talked about what it means to be scattered bones, and we're talking about looking at, having, finding out how God sees Faith Christian Center, how God sees me, how God sees you. And see, we can look around at the building and we can look around at, at ministries and programs and look at around that, you know, at the numbers and the attendance and giving and all that and say, oh, we are a blessed church. And we are. But how does God see us? How does God see you and me? Does He see the fire in our heart that's in His heart? Do you he see the compassion that, that is in His heart, is in our heart? And the Lord speak to me again today. I, I lost another remote this week. <laughs> And I got up in the morning, and I'm, I'm, before I went to bed, I'm trying to find this remote. And God spoke, he spoke to me again and says, You're more concerned about that little piece of metal than you are your souls of your neighbors around you. Now, it wasn't condemning. It was just to alert me. And, and, and of course, God's always right. But it's like, oh, my goodness. So our heart, something has to happen to our hearts. So dry bones is not referring to programs and it's not referring to our church attendance. He's talking about our hearts. Do we have the passion of God for people that He has? Do we have the, the, the caring for souls that He has? See, God's, Jesus was moved by compassion. He didn't do what He did for people just because they were there and it was His assignment. He was moved by compassion. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, knowing he was about to raise him from the dead. Why did he weep? Because he saw how the loss of this friend had touched his family and other people around him, and he allowed it to touch him. Are we touched with what God's touched with? That's not something you can make yourself be. Well, I've got I to think about it more. I got to. No, it's the Spirit of God has to do it to us. We have to be willing and desirous. And if we're satisfied with where we are, it's very hard for Him to breathe on us. And so God has to begin by opening our eyes to see that, whoa, 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 maybe we're not where we think we are. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us, it doesn't mean we don't love God. But we can't be satisfied. If you're satisfied where you are, you're not going to grow. It's when we're hungry. You notice after 9 11, the churches were filled. Why? Because they saw a need. They knew we, were, we could easily be destroyed. There's a need to turn to God. But what happened? A few weeks, few months, years go by. We don't have another terrorist attack like that. Hey, we can handle this. And as long as we think we can handle it, we don't need God. And I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. So we have to have that hunger, but the Spirit of God has to breathe out on us. And he says, son of man, can these bones live? And and, and Ezekiel was wise enough to realize God was trying to show him something. So he says, Lord, only you know. Only you know. In other words, show us. Show me what you're trying to tell me, or, or tell me what you're trying to show me these bones mean. And he said, speak, prophesy to the bones. So God's speaking to us. And here's the first thing he says. Prophesy to the bones, hear the word of the Lord. See, we read over these things so quickly. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh yeah, okay, so we go on. But no, God's saying, He's having to say, hear what I'm saying to you, because otherwise we'll come through this too quickly. So we looked last week at the end of, I think it's chapter 33, and we saw a good example of that because God spoke to Ezekiel and says, you're preaching to the people, and here's what they're doing. They're talking about you out in the marketplace. They're talking about you at home when they go to the restaurant. They're talking about you, and they're saying, what a wonderful word we heard today. So they're hearing the words. He said, and they come and they sit. And they say, wasn't that a wonderful word we heard today? He said, but they have no intention of doing what they're hearing. And so they're no different than people that go to a nice concert and said, wasn't that a beautiful instrument we heard? Wasn't that a a beautiful performance? In other words, it's entertainment. Makes me feel better. This morning, and I shared this with you last, it's no secret, it's true in our lives there are many different reasons why we're here this morning. Some of us are here because we feel better about ourselves if we came to church. Some of us are here because, because we know we have needs in our life and we need to have them met and maybe God will meet those needs. Some of us are here this morning because, because we need encouragement, we need to be strengthened. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but if that's all we come to, we will ultimately miss it. God wants to speak to you this morning. God wants you to leave here today knowing Him better. I don't mean knowing more about Him, having a closer relationship with Him. God wants to speak direction into your life. God wants to speak things into your life that tomorrow you'll be able to use because He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He's trying to bring us someplace. He's trying to bring you someplace. He's trying to bring me someplace. He's trying to bring us all together someplace. And to do that, we have to hear His voice and then do what He says to do. Then we looked last week at, Matt, at Mark chapter 4. We saw the same principle Jesus was teaching his disciples in the parable of the sower. And we saw he, this story about a, a sower so season. Some of it fell on the, on, the, on the road and some of it fell on ground that was, th- that was thin. It had lots of rocks it was thin and some of it fell on ground where there was good soil but there were weeds and thistles and things growing on it and others fell on good soil. Same seed, different results. The first case that fell on the rock, ground, uh, birds came along, and he says that represents Satan, and immediately stole it. We talked about how distractions are here to steal you from hearing what God's saying to you. People around you. I talked about the ceiling tiles where I used to get distracted in, in Bible school, and things around you the enemy can use to distract you, just by bringing, d- diverting your attention from the very thing you may need to hear. Now you're here this morning, because so you have the opportunity here. There are some people here that were distracted so much they never got here today. They may have had a fight before they got loose with their wife and said, ah, forget it, it's not worth it, we'll just come next week. And God had something to share with them, and they can't hear it. Now God's gracious, He'll share, but sometimes He knows just what we need at just the right time. And then there's some that was sown on on soil where there was was very thin and it took root and it began to grow. But because it had no root that went down, a tap root, when the sun came out and and, and pressure comes up, it it was burned up and it talks about where we hear the word but it doesn't take much root in it. As we're excited about it, we leave saying praise God, but it hasn't had a chance to really get deep in our hearts. And the result is when pressure comes, we forget it. It's just gone. I give it up. Let it go easily. And then there's so much sown in soil where there's, where there's uh, um, uh, other things growing there. Weeds, thorns, thistles. And what those are is they compete for the nu- nutritions, n- nutrients. They compete for the sunlight, for all that's needed. And so the plant grows, but it doesn't produce very healthy fruit if it produces fruit at all. And this is all about producing fruit. It's not about whether God loves us. It's not even about whether you're going to get to heaven or not. It's about being, living a life that's fruitful for Him. Fruitful for Him. Ephesians 2 says, We're saved by grace, but unto good works. And those good works, we are His workmanship. We are His creation, His new creation. But He, John 15, Jesus said, You didn't choose Me, I chose you. But I chose you so that God could bear fruit through you, and that that fruit would remain. But the process of bearing fruit is the seed has to be sown. The seed is the Word of God. That seed contains all the potential to produce a huge crop of beautiful fruit or to produce nothing. It all depends on where it's sown and what's done with it. And Jesus taught that parable and said, if you can understand this parable, then you can understand all the rest. But if you don't get this one, you're going to miss all the rest. Why? Because it describes the process by which God matures us and develops fruit in us. And if we don't understand how easily, the, how, how we have to plant that seed, water that seed, and plant it in soil that's, that's ready to receive it, that's what it's about. And that's what God's doing with this, this series we're on right now about dry bones. God is, is breaking the clods up, exposing areas in our heart that may be hard. I had to deal with my heart this week about just gotten not bitter, I'd gotten sour about some situations. It's just, you know, you get you get you know skeptical. Well that's never going to change, that kind of thing. And that's my that's why Proverbs says, Guard your heart with all diligence. Because out of it, out of what? Out of your heart flow the issues of life. The condition of your heart determines what the Word of God is going to be able to do in you. And that's why Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you're going to miss the process by which God's able to do everything else in your life. All right. So that's where we got last week. Turn with me now to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to pick up for this week. Mark chapter 4. We're now going to look at applying that parable, and then we're going to look at an example. He's finished this parable of the sower. We're going to start in verse 21. Also, he said to them, is a lamp brought to put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not set to is it not to be set on a lampstand? Verse 22. For there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor is anything been kept secret that should not come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said, verse 24, take heed What you hear, he's talking, this whole parable is about the process of hearing. With the same measure you use. Now we're used to this principle when it comes to giving, sowing and reaping. You understand Jesus said, with the same shovel you shovel it, (laughs) is what God's going to use to shovel back to you. That's modern translation. Same measure you use, if you use a little teaspoon to give, God's going to pick up that same teaspoon and use that to give back to you so we determine what container he's going to use to ref, to return back to us. So we're familiar with that concept when it comes to sowing and reaping giving, sowing and reaping finances. But here he's talking about sowing and reaping your attitude of your heart, your openness to to and so what he's talking about is how we hear, how open we are to hear. Verse 24, take heed what you hear with the same measure you use to hear it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For for whoever has, to him will more be given. Whoever does not have, even what he does have, will be taken away from him. Now that's a little confusing if you read it quickly. Because what he says here, whoever has, to him more will be given. Well, I can kind of understand that. But for whoever does not have even what he does have will be taken away from. Wait a minute, how can you have something taken away from you you don't have? Right? He says, to him who doesn't have, what he has will be taken away from. But wait a minute, if I don't have, what's there to take away from me? So he can't be talking about things, he's talking about ears to hear. Whoever has ears to hear, what he has will be multiplied to him. Whoever doesn't have a heart to hear, even what he does hear will be taken away from him. He'll lose what he hears. That's what he's talking about. And that's the lesson of this parable. Now turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. We're going to look at an example of a people to whom God had called, to whom God had spoken, to whom God had given a destiny, to whom God had given a vision, to whom God had uh, had delivered and saved and redeemed by miraculous events like have never happened before. And He's brought them to their crossroads of their life together as a body. Numbers chapter 13, familiar story, but we're going to look at it from this perspective. Let's start in verse, now the children of Israel have been delivered, they cried out to God, they've been delivered out of Egypt through miraculous signs, ten miraculous events. Then they come to the Red Sea, God parts the sea, they walk through this Red Sea on dry land. They come to the other side and the Egyptian army soldiers now come barreling down trying to destroy them and God releases the, the east wind that had held the waters back and in one day they see their enemies destroyed in front of their lives. They get out there a couple of days and they realize they don't see where they have enough water because they've used the water up that they took out of Egypt. And I'm not going to go through the whole story because we don't need to. They began to complain and cry out to to Moses. They began to complain and cry out to God. God brings water out of a rock. Then they complain, you know, they don't have anything to eat. They run out of food. So God says, here's what I'm going to do. Every morning when you get up, you're going to find there's dew on the ground. You gather that dew up and you'll be able to make bread out of that. And they call it manna, which means, what is this stuff? Every day God said that will happen. Except on the sixth day, and you can only collect one day's worth. On the seventh day, it's a day of rest. You won't be able to go out and collect it because you have to rest. Therefore, on the sixth day, I'll let you collect two days' worth. If you collect two days' worth any other day, it'll rot. But if you collect two days' worth on that sixth day, it won't rot. Now, you get into Deuteronomy. He goes back and explains what this was all for. He says, I was testing you. I was training you that you would learn this lesson. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth. See, God was training them, preparing them for their destiny by little things every day. And they didn't recognize what he was doing. He was teaching them to trust his word every day. That he was their source, he was their provision, and because he said you can eat that bread, they could eat it. But if they tried to hoard it up for themselves, see, hoarding is, is unbelief. If they collected two days' worth, it was because they didn't believe it was going to be there the next day. But just to show them that it happened because of God's Word, He said, on the sixth day, you can collect two and it won't rot. And there were some that tested Him. They tried to hoard it up and it rotted. And they couldn't use it. So in Deuteronomy 8, we see God says, I was testing you and training you, is what that word means. Training you to learn this principle, that you don't live by bread alone, but here's how you live. You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we're going to see why, they, why it was so important for them to have learned that lesson, and that they didn't learn that lesson. As a result, they could not enter into their destiny. God didn't keep them out They kept themselves out because they wouldn't learn the lessons that came about every day to learn to grow and trust their God. Some of you are going through things right now. God may not have brought it into your life. It may be there because you did some things you shouldn't have done. It may be the devil trying to get in here. But God wants to use it to train you so that when the moment of your destiny, the moment of Faith Christian Center's destiny comes, we're ready to enter in. And that's what this is all about. All right. So they've now come out. We have now see them at this place where they have come through about six months journey. Excuse me, about, nine, about that 11 months journey. And they're right up at the doorway of their destiny. Kadesh Barnea. They've come up around the Jordan River. They're on the east side of the Jordan River prepared now to enter into the land that God has prepared them for, promised to them, made a vow to their forefathers to bring them into it. It's their moment. It's the moment for which they were created. I suggest to you that we're on the verge of a moment that God has for which God created Faith Christian Center. We're at the same place that they were. Let's learn from what they did. Beginning of chapter 13 says they sent spies in. They spent one from each of the 12 tribes to win in to, ch- to check out the land. And now you'll. I don't. Well, okay. We'll just pick up there. All right. Now and then they come back, and they come back, and this is the report that they bring. We're going to start in verse 27. And they told them, saying, told him, saying, we went into the land where you sent us, and it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. God told them it would flow with milk and honey. Nevertheless. The people who dwell on the land are strong and the cities are fortified. They're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. They were very super large people that sometimes were referred to as giants. And the Amalekites dwell on the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell on the mountains and the Canaanites dwell on the sea along the banks of the Jordan. God didn't tell us about them. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, "Let us." Caleb was one of the ones that went in. One of the the twelve spies. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. What's the refrain that we hear in those first seven letters to the churches in in Asia Minor in Revelation? To heal, overcomes. He says something different to each church, but there's two things he says. To each church that are the same. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the second is, there's a promise to he who overcomes. I don't know about you, but the word overcome implies there's something I have to overcome. Overcome. So, what they discovered, they had God's promises, God's vision, God's purposes, but they discovered when they sent the spies in that not only was everything God said about the land true, but there were some obstacles they had to overcome. There were some enemies in the land. Now, some people use this as a symbol of heaven that says Egypt is a symbol of the earth, of, 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 of the world, and before we're saved, that the wilderness is that is that is represents you know what we our life here on earth, and that heaven represents and and the promised land represents heaven. The only problem with that is I don't believe heaven has any enemies in it to overcome. The overcoming the Bible talks about is here, so the promised land does not represent heaven. It represents God's. Destiny, God's calling for an individual and for a church and ultimately for his body. And so we hear they come back with the report is, can you relate to this? When you got saved, did you know you were going to be a target for the enemy? I, I didn't nobody told me that. I mean all I know is the death, like I said, I felt like a teenager in love. I mean everybody was beautiful. Even the lawyers I worked with were beautiful. It's amazing how they changed in 24 hours. The big heavy guy I bought my donuts from, you know, was just, he was beautiful. Everybody's beautiful. I just, I, you know, I felt like a teenager in love. I just, and I was giddy. It was amazing to even remember back on it. Every, you know, I, I had no idea. And, you know, and everything went well for me at first, you know. It was what Things prospered, you know, no obstacles. And then God called us things began to change. I've begun to notice there was obstacles in our way. Sometimes it was people. Sometimes it was situations. Am I the only one? Okay. There were things I've had to overcome. And I'll be very frank with you. I don't like that. I'd much rather have God just part the sea, and we walk through it praising God Into eternity. But what we're going to learn is that the church has called to accomplish something for Christ that implies warfare, because there's still an enemy out there. He's been defeated at the cross, but he hasn't quit trying to pull people off track. And so they came back and said, yes, everything God said was true, but, that's what the word nevertheless means, but there's things he didn't tell us. There are people out there that don't like us. There's people out there that don't want to let us have the land. Do you understand that there are people out there that don't like the church today? I mean, it's more obvious today than it ever was. There are people out there that don't like you because you're a Christian. Not because of the color of your skin, not because of your education, not because of your job. They don't like you because you're a Christian. And that's going to get more prevalent, not less prevalent. So get prepared for it. Prepare yourself for that. There are giants in this land. There are things out there that look like they're threatening not only us, but what God's called us to do. And what happens here is they look at that, they hear this report, and they make a choice of what they're going to do based on that report. So that's what we're looking at. Verse 31. But the man who'd gone up with him, with Caleb, said... Notice that what they... They all saw the same thing. Caleb says, Let us go up at once, And take possession because we're well able to overcome it. I know there are problems there, but we're well able to overcome it. Let's get going. Let's take possession. But the men who were with him, who had gone up with him, said, We're not able to go up against this people, for they're stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad, some translations say, an evil report. That's in God's eyes. What report are you giving? What report am I giving? How does God see our report? The pastor, it's so hard. You don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, I understand that. I know what it's like to go through things and overcome things. And Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. But we can't do this. I'm ready to quit. What kind of report is that? What kind of report are you sharing with other people who hear your report? See, your report has a significance not just to you and not just a God, but your report can influence other people. Satan works through dissension, rumors, talking. That's why God told Joshua when they come around 40 years later, tell the people to keep their mouth shut. That's not quite how it's worded, but that's the message. To not say anything. And because they didn't say anything... There were no evil reports. Alright. So apparently what we say is important. They gave the children of Israel an evil report of the land which they'd spied out, saying, The land through which we've gone as spy is a land that devour its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw were men of great stature, and they were like giants, descendants of Enoch, and they came from giants, and they were we and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And as a result, that's how we were in their sight. Now we're not going to take the time to go there, but if you go over to Joshua, what you'll see is the report of when they finally did get in there. We'll find out the reports of the giants was just the opposite. They were quaking inside their walls because they had heard that Jehovah God went with this people. They had heard that this God opened the Red Sea. They had heard that this God, they had heard the report of the Lord and the people for whom God did it missed it. This applies to us today. how do you see, how do you see yourself? How do you see what it, how do you see Christians as what it means to be a Christian? Because notice they believed that their enemies saw them as grasshoppers and the result was they became grasshoppers in their own sight. Do you see the church as weak and ineffective? Do you see the church as, 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 as um, uh, uh, timid and afraid and hiding? That's because that's how we believe what we believe about ourselves because we've listened to the reports of the enemy and not God's report of who we are. Whose report do you believe? God's report of the church or the world's report of the church. See the world's scared. That and the world I'm talking about is not people in the world. It's the spirits that are behind it, the spirit of the Antichrist. Ultimately, he is threatened by the church. The church is his enemy. The church is called and anointed by God to make this world God's footstool. Yes. We'll look later in Hebrews chapter one and then Hebrews chapter ten, both verses 13. Until his enemy has made his footstool, that sounds like his body's supposed to win. But Satan doesn't want to become his footstool. So his only weapon is to convince the church that we have no power. To convince the church that we are, we, we are to go sit back in our corner and behave ourselves and do what he tells us to do. That we have no power. We have no authority. That's what he wants the church to do in this day and age. And that's what this generation did. Why? Because they were moved by what they saw and not by what God said. They'd not learned to live by by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. They learned to live by what they saw, what they experienced, by the circumstances of their life. They allowed the circumstances of their life to tell them who they are and what they could do as children of God. And as a result, when the day of their destiny arrived, they would not enter in The Bible says, I think it's either in Second Corinthians or in Hebrews four. In the beginning it says that because the word that they heard was not mixed with faith. They heard the words. Oh, wasn't that a great service? They heard the words, but as it wasn't mixed with faith in those that heard it. Okay. All right. Chapter fourteen. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said, if only we, now look what happens when you pull back. When you're, when you come to that moment of entering in and you make the choice, I can't do it. Notice what happens. You don't stay where you are. You're either going to enter into your destiny or you're going to go back to where you came from. Notice what happens here. And we're going to take our time, because this is a foundation. Verse 2. And all the children of Israel complained against see when you start complaining, that's another bad sign. Complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Now wait a minute, whose idea was it to get out? It was their idea. They cried, now God wanted him it was his will, but they, God had to wait for them to cry out, saying, oh, we, we, we can't stand it any longer, deliver us. And God heard their cry. When he called Moses at the burning bush, he said, I have heard the cry of my people. Which means they cried. So when you cry, he hears. And he sent the deliverer. Now the deliverer has delivered them. Obviously by God's grace and ability. And brought them to, see, God didn't just deliver you to keep you from going to hell. He didn't just deliver them to get them out of Egypt. God always builds on the positive. He got them out of the negative to take them into the destiny, the purpose, the calling. He didn't just save you so you don't go to hell. He has a vision for you to be his child, to be a son and daughter of the living God, to grow and mature and take your place in the body of Christ, that the body of Christ may accomplish his will. That's his vision for you. But when they were faced with actually stepping into it, because they had not learned the lessons of listening to him, and valuing His Word all along the road. Now they could not do it when they were faced with the obstacles of an enemy that they saw. Even though they said everything God said was true, but they said there are enemies and obstacles, they drew their own conclusion about what they could do. And now the result of having made that choice to step back from the calling of God, now they begin to complain. And the vision that God had brought them to now begins to turn around and now their vision becomes backward, not forward growing. Crossroads. They were at a crossroads. They start complaining. Oh, if we'd only died in the land of Egypt. If we'd only died in this wilderness. Well, if they really wanted to die in the wilderness, it would have been really easy. they're the ones that complained they didn't have enough food to live by. So their vision when they came out of Egypt was they didn't want to go back to Egypt. They they had celebrations. Just read it in Exodus 13 and 14. They sang songs. They were rejoicing. They were happy to be out. And then they started complaining because they didn't see food. God gives them food. They celebrate again. We'll do whatever. They, at one point, they say, whatever you tell us to do, we'll do. So they meant well. They just didn't learn the lessons. See, God wants to prepare us to bring us to where He wants us to go. And He knows what we need to learn. So we need to be willing to listen through the lessons. Say, God, like Ezekiel, what are you trying to show me? What do I need to learn in this situation? And now their vision is, oh, if we'd only died in Egypt. If we'd only died in the wilderness. Okay, we've got to go on. Why is the Lord's three? Why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children... Why do they think that's going to happen? But notice they're painting a picture now. What happens when you let your mind run in fear? Why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select another leader and return to Egypt notice what the leader does Moses and Aaron fell on their face before the assembly and all the congregation of Israel but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb they were the two of the spies that had the good report the son of Jephunneh who were among those who spied out the land tore their clothes that was a sign of of disgust and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land if the Lord delights in us he will bring us into the land he will give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey only don't rebel against the Lord see when we say no to him when we say no to his calling it's rebelling against him see God is is God is not this great um, uh, guidance counselor in the sky when I was in school you know they, they had guidance counselors, how do you find out what your aptitude was I assume, suppose they still have those today you know, you take tests and they would counsel, you know, I think you'd be good at this and I think you'd be good at that. So they're giving you what they think the alternatives are of what you'd be good at. God's not one of those. God's not looking at your aptitudes and saying, you know, I think, you know, you know you're pretty good at this. And, you know, Joe, it's just I think you've got good talent. You know, why don't you try this out and see how that works for you? No, 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 no. He's God. The aptitudes you have, guess where they came from? He gave them to you. And guess why he gave them to you? Because there's a purpose for your life to use those. And one of the aptitudes he did not give you is the ability to sit in a blue chair. We need to be able to sit there to hear the Word of God, but he also gave you legs and arms and hands so you can do things for him in the church. Some of you get that on your way home. Some of you may not get that at all. That's okay. Notice, from God's perspective, when they say no, they're rebelling against God. See, your call that God has for you is not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not what God thinks would bless your life the most. There's a purpose for your life. You have the free will to say no, but what we're learning from this is when I say no, I'm rebelling against God. So we have a choice, but the choice is obedience or rebellion. That's it. I didn't, I didn't write this, by the way. My name's later on in the book, but it's not me. I didn't write this. I have to deal with this too. Only do not, verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. That's critical. Do not fear them. And all the congregation took up stones with which to stone them and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle, the meeting before the children. God showed up at this point. And Moses has to intercede for them because God is so mad, he wants to fry them on the spot. We think God doesn't have emotions. God has Emotions he never loses control of them, but he will express them. And Moses has to argue with him. He says, basically, God, if you fry them here, I mean, if you make them one big grease puddle, because he said, and I'll start over with you and do something better with you than I would have been able to do with them. God says, Moses says, now Moses is a man arguing with God on behalf of this rebellious people who've done nothing but give him trouble. This is the heart of a leader. And he says, God, if you do that, what are the Egyptians going to say? That you could deliver them out of Egypt, but you couldn't get them in the promised land? What are these other nations going to say? You you gave up on them? So he convinces God not to fry them on the spot. Maybe that's why the later generations revered Moses so much. Let's go down. He says, pardon their iniquity. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned, look at this, according to your word. But truly as I live, and we know God lives, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's his will, that's his desire, that's his ultimate purpose. It's to fill the world with his glory. But his glory resides in you and me, it's not something that's going to descend out of heaven, it dwells in you and me. Verse 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they did not hear the word of the Lord. They shall certainly not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor any of them who rejected me may see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him to the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. These Amalekites and Canaanites who dwell in the land, tomorrow turn and move out of the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil generation who complain against me? I have heard their complaints. Verse 28. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, look at this just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. Now what did they say all along? Oh, that we died in the wilderness. God saying, All right, I hear you. I hear what you've said you wanted. It's yours. You said your bodies would die in the wilderness. That's what's going to happen. Now they didn't die on the spot. He says you just got to stay in a holding pattern. Until what you said about yourself comes about. Now they said something else. They spoke about the next generation. And they said until that generation dies. And God says no. That generation is hoping here. That generation will not die because you spoke ill against them. Turn really quickly to 1 Corinthians, chapter 10. Did you here somewhere. All right, here we go. Now, Paul's talking in chapter 9 about completing the vision God gave him. Paul's talking about completing the vision that God had given him, the purpose for his life. And he says, because of that, it governs what I do. He says, many people compete for an athletic prize. And they discipline themselves so that they can be the best at what they do so that they can achieve that prize. And he says, it's just a simple prize, a laurel wreath in those days, that's just going to rot. And only one can win it. But he says there's a prize that God has offered to each one of us. It's the reward for completing your assignment. He says because of that, I keep my body under. See, this is where without a prophetic revelation, the people are unrestrained. That's not just true as a body. It's true individually. This is why our young people struggle so much. There's no purpose for their life. God has a call and purpose for every young person's life. And we have a responsibility to help them to see that. And Paul caught a hold of the, of the vision God had for him, and as a result, it restrained his freedom that he had. And he said, As a result, I buffet my body. That literally means I punch it. It comes from an image that was used of a fighter, a boxer. Because one of the problems we'd have with a boxer, because they didn't use gloves, they used their hands. And if you had a flesh that was easily bruised and you got damaged, what would happen is your face would swell up, your eyes would close and you couldn't see and as a result you can't see you're going to get knocked out so what they would do is to toughen their skin up they would wear a special leather glove that had little spikes in it and they would pound themselves in the face to toughen their body up so that when they were hit by when they were hit by their opponent they didn't react the way they would have if they hadn't. T- that's the image here. If you go back and study it, when Paul says "I buffet my body," he literally says "I literally am hitting it." In other words, he disciplined himself because he had a divine purpose. That's that's the point he's making here. Now let's go quickly. I'm not going to go through all this. We don't have time. Chapter 10, because he wrote this as one discussion here. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. He's talking about the people we just read about. The cloud he's talking about here is God's presence by a cloud that protected them from the sun and provided heat, the fire that provided heat in the in the, in the nighttime, and that guided them. All our, our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses. That means they were joined in, they followed him in the cloud and in the sea, they all ate the same spiritual food, spirit-given food. That's the manna. So they all went through the same experiences together, the same opportunities that God gave to each one of them, to Moses, to Joshua, to Caleb, to all of them. He gave the same opportunities to them. They all drank of the same spiritual food. They drank of the same spiritual rock. That was the water that came out, which followed. That rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. We're talking about dry bones, scattered. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. What he's saying here, there's the whole point of what I'm going into this for, is that story we've just gone through is in the Bible as an example to us. They didn't have the benefit of an example. We do. Right. To whom much is given, much is required. That story is in there as in a lesson to us of a people that had the same opportunity. They walked God was living among them. God had anointed a leader to take them there and they would not listen to what God was saying. And as a result, they fell in the wilderness. They did not complete their assignment. And it had to be given to another generation. And he said, that story in the Bible as an example for the church. As an example for the church. My brothers and sisters, let us not miss the example. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Ezekiel, speak to the bones. Hear the word of the Lord. I started meditating on that this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Unlike any other word. It is the Creator, our Creator, our God, our Father, who has a word for us. We must be prepared to hear it let's pray